John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. This week we have two guests. First, we talk with Patrick Muradoglu, who, of course, uh, wears many hats in tennis. He keeps the tennis milliners busy. He's a broadcaster. He's a coach. He's a promoter. Uh, today we talk to him in two capacities. We talk about the UTS, the ultimate tennis showdown that he ran over the past several weeks. This was an attempt by Patrick to speed up tennis, make it faster, younger, draw, a new audience. We talk about what worked and what didn't. We spoke with him uh, in June, and he invited us uh, sort of when he, he said, we'll do a reassessment when we're done and see what we uh, did well and what we need to work on. And so we took him up on that. So a conversation about the UTS, the Ultimate Tennis Showdown. And then we talk about Serena Williams. Patrick, of course, has coached Serena for almost a decade now. And we talk about where she is, what she'll need to do to uh, win that elusive 24th major uh, he is about to leave Nice for Lexington, Kentucky, from uh, the south of France to the land of Mitch McConnell and, uh, and Rand Paul. But Patrick is going to meet up with Serena and coach her in Lexington on her way to the U.S. Open. So we talk a lot about Serena Williams, uh, how she's handling pressure, what she needs to do differently if she were to get to the final, and her sort of general disposition during, uh, during the COVID crisis. So a good conversation. Then we talk with Andrea Leand. Andrea is a former top 15 player. A commentator. She also once did a brief stint as an agent. Uh, she was at the Greenbrier for the finals of World Team Tennis the other day. She was sitting courtside. So we talk a bit about tennis and uh, a bit about what the U.S. Open is going to look like under this sort of quasi-bubble um, configuration. So uh, good, good, two good conversations, sort of uh, look, looking back but also looking forward. So let's get started uh, in the south of France with Patrick. So uh, we, we spoke a few months ago before uh, b- before your events began, and we said we would uh, we would check in, and you, you were open to suggestion, and you sort of uh, you wanted to hear how this went. So you you tell me first. I mean, grade, grade yourself. What what worked well? Most of it. <laughs> I mean, uh, first to to see the reality of something you've uh, you've imagined is is amazing. It's an incredible feeling. And, uh, and it was it was really impressive to see those uh, those great champions play. I, saw, I mean, something that was difficult to imagine, like play a format so different from tennis. Uh, the accepting to be in such in a discomfort zone at the start because it's very different, it's very stressful, uh, it's very difficult in terms of physical uh, because you don't have a lot of time between the points, much less, so you can't recover well. Uh, you have so much more stress uh, to see them uh, go through all that uh, in a completely uh, new environment. Uh, uh, all the things that go with it, the software we had to develop, this machine we had to develop for the chair empire that is so different. Uh, I mean, that, the whole feeling for me was just incredible. To be completely honest, you uh, you you sound to me like uh, you, you've written a screenplay and then you've you've actually seen it performed as a as a movie um yeah, yeah that's a perfect way to put it yeah what what do you think um first of all what, what do you think of the level of play i mean this this was a, a different environment for the players they were also coming off a long break what did you think of uh, the quality of tennis i think at the start of uts1 the level was really so-so uh but uh after a few weekends they started to play well um the one, uh, Berrettini, for example, who won UTS-1, I think his level the first two weekends was, wow, was far from very far. And then he took off and then he started to play uh, some of his best tennis, I think. That's why he won. Um, and the level of, uh, I think for, for UTS-2's fi- finals, men and women, I think the level was really good. Um, uh, I think it was very good tennis. That's I really enjoyed so much watching. If, if you had to do it over, what, what would you do differently? What what didn't work as well as you expected? Um, for me, it's details, but uh, it counts. Uh, for example, what I didn't like, uh, but it's not about me because uh, the product is not for me. The product is for the fans, and it's really, really fan-oriented, uh, fan-centered. So we, we, we ask the question to the fans a lot and we have a lot of feedback. What I didn't like, and actually it was some of the feedbacks, was the end of the quarters when there was too much difference of points between the two players 
some guys were would not really play at all and like they were they didn't want to play the last point so they were just so this was really uh didn't look good and actually uh it's sad because some guys just of course the people who are against that they just take this as an example that it's not serious but i i, I think if we are really honest the the players players played with an incredible motivation and uh and all of them uh, and the final, the fact that they, they argued during the match. Uh, I mean, a guy like Felix, who is definitely not the kind of guy who would do that, he showed how much they cared and they, they wanted to win. So one thing I've sort of heard re- repeatedly, um, not just on social media, but even, you know, talking to former players, is I credit Patrick. It's a lot of cool innovations. It was a great product. I don't know how transferable any of this is to tour-level tennis. What, what's your response to that? That was not the goal. And that's not the goal to transfer it to uh, tour tennis. The goal is to have two different leagues. One classic league, ATP WTA Grand Slams, which, is, which holds the history of our sport. Sure. And these leagues have to continue, I think, to do the same as what they're doing. For, one, of the reason, one of the main reasons is because the fans, the tennis fans, like it. So why would you change? Right. And the, 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 tennis fans, the tennis fans of ATP and WTA, the, the, the majority of them are very conservative and they would hate changes. So why would you change? So I think that's what's great about UTS is that we have no limits in, uh, in uh, experimenting <laughs> because we want to do something that is very different from tennis. And the, the point is not to replace tennis and not to influence classical tennis either i think we should stay they should atp wta should stand where they are and we should stand where we are and and i think the the mix of both the fact that we both exist is going to be a great ad for tennis do you, you think the market's big enough for both for both it's not that i think that the market is big enough for both of us is i think that the market will be bigger because we are two we will grow the market we will bring to tennis people who are not watching tennis and then I jump into your second question that you didn't finish. So I'll let you finish. But I'm going to jump No, no, in. no. Keep, I mean, it, it's the same question. Keep t- talk about the audience you're bringing in and what, oh. what you learned. Yeah. So what I love, we have some data. We have data. So I'll tell you how we got the data. First, from our social medias, because you know that on the social medias, we have a lot of, of uh, information and data about uh, our fans. And also, uh, we have our OTT channel and uh, we can we can discuss directly with them. And, and so we have a lot of data about them also. And so I have two data that I really like that were, because that was the whole point about it. First, 50% of the UTS fans were not tennis fans, that they were not watching tennis. They were not following tennis. And that's the whole point. We bring people who are not watching tennis to tennis because they're not attracted to a long, slow format they're attracted to a, a, a fast fun uh, dynamic format because they're younger and they don't consume long formats very as simple as that um, so this this was good. and second figure is the age of the fans of our fans average is 31 years old so 31 compared to 61 for tennis and i know i've heard a lot of things about me saying 61 and uh, like i i I created those figures. So those figures are into, uh, I take them from um, studies, uh, very serious studies that have been made on tennis uh, that are available. They're public. Uh, they've been, uh, they've been uh, made for uh, big medias who, uh, who do surveys because they need to know who are their audience, et cetera, et cetera. And when we talk about tennis fans, when I talk about tennis fans and this, this figure, so this figure comes from those uh, studies, um, again, that are very reliable and anyone can consult them. I just did like anyone could have done. Um, so I'm talking about the people who are following tennis and watching tennis all year long on, uh, on TV. I'm not talking about the guys who are in the clubs playing tennis. The tennis fans are those people, right. just to be clear. What, what was your size of your audience? We don't want to give that figure. <laughs> you don't want to go there. No, no, but we, we don't give that figure, so I'm not going to give it. But I, I can, the thing I can say is that the, the matches were broadcasted in more than 100 countries and uh, uh, unique viewers, we, have, we had more than 20 million. More than 20 million unique 
Did, did uh, I mean, you, you'll, you'll tell me why you don't want to give that away, but um, I mean, did, did, it, did it meet your expectation? How, how would yeah. you describe that? Yeah, no, honestly, uh, uh, I couldn't dream about uh, a better start. Uh, it's, it's always difficult to launch something new, always. It's even more difficult to launch something new in a, in, in a sport that is so conservative as tennis. Uh, well, I, I mean, let's, there, there is a global pandemic you had to contend with as well. Um, yes, that's true too. Uh, but, you know, we, we had, if I take away the, the top three players, because they're a different league, but uh, out of the top three, so you have seven other players in the top ten, we had five out of the seven who played our, our, uh, our tournament. And they were so happy. They were so enthusiastic about it. The, the, the feedback from the players was, was great. And I'm so happy about it because if they didn't like it, then we just have to close the door. Finished. So Because, yeah. Yeah, so, so where do we go from here? Yeah, so where do we go? Um, we definitely need to continue. Uh, again, the goal is to have two leagues next to each other uh, that are complementary, that are completely different that have uh, different purposes and that, uh, that aim to different audience, audiences. So that's why I'm saying we're, it's great because the goal is to grow the pie of the tennis fans. Go get people that tennis don't get now. People, uh, tennis has uh, one, more than a billion fans around the planet. It's a huge sport, but it's an old audience and we want to we wanna get also the younger ones. So I think UTS can get those, this audience. So it's, and it's great for the whole industry. Uh, so, we want to continue. We want to do some other uh, events. There are uh, quite a good number of weeks during the year where we can do it. Um, that's for, for one thing. And second thing, we will see what the calendar is going to look like uh, after the COVID-19. For the moment, I mean, nobody has a real uh, uh, view about what's going to happen. And uh, also, what, what, nobody can say what, what the calendar is going to look like in 2021. Sure. No, I mean, I, I think we all know there are there are events that were on the calendar before that may not uh, that may not be back. What, were were there any differences you noticed between uh, the men and women? Uh, yeah, I mean, women play longer uh, rallies, so I think it's more difficult for women uh, because you know the recovery time is still short between uh, between points, uh, but they don't have those huge serves. And uh, this ability to close a lot of points very, uh, very uh, fast. Uh, but I think also that if they keep playing UTS, they're gonna they're gonna also adapt, and they're gonna learn to shorten the rallies. Uh, to be honest, men had made, made much more time of play than women uh, on UTS because UTS one was only guys, and uh, and they played even more matches in UTS two. Let me if, if I that's an interesting point. If if I were gonna play UTS and I wanted to wear a you know, a, a tracking device. If I wanted to get biotech involved, would I be allowed to? Uh, oh, I would love Terrible to. Terrible technology? This is definitely things we're going to do. I mean, I'm also okay with you coming with uh, uh, a T-shirt uh, that doesn't look like a tennis T-shirt. I'm fine with that. The problem, But we have to get... No, but... Yeah. You know, everything is so, uh, so much in boxes in tennis. I want to open all the boxes and... Uh, and see how, I mean, make it more uh, colorful, more fun, more, uh, but still keep this competition spirit that is so important. And, but we, we have it. We kept it. So that's great. Wearable technology, I'm telling you. Um, so, so you mentioned, you're mentioned you're going to, uh, you're off to Lexington. Yep. Um, what, what do the next few weeks look like for you? I hope I would know in advance what's going to happen. Um, well, uh, you know, the program is Lexington, then Cincinnati in New York, and then New York. Uh, the goal is to play, uh, to, have, uh, to have matches, to have, to have the feel of competition again for Serena. Um, we know how important it is. I mean, you asked me the question about UTS, and I've seen the players improve weekend after weekend because they, they had more time, competition time. So it's, it's very important for all the players. Um, so that's why we're going to Lexington because... Uh, we don't know how many matches uh, she'll be able to play. So let's give us the chances to play as many matches as possible. Right. So we'll see how it is. I mean, it's going to be challenging uh, on the, because of the restrictions. Uh, but for Serena, it's going to be fine, I think, because 
she anyway she's still during a tournament she's she's just in the room or at the stadium and that's it yeah i was going to ask you about that i mean you know we we all know how she is during these majors to, to what extent is her rhythm going to be disrupted i mean she, it's not going to be disrupted because I, as i just it's not going to change anything for her like she's too famous to to uh to do stuff and walk in the street or go to the restaurant, you know, she, she needs, she needs rest during tournaments. Uh, I mean, a lot of players can do that, but uh, the top, 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 top ones, they can't because I mean, people come to them all the time. So they, they never relax. So they have to stay in the room and she's used to, to doing, she's very used to doing that. So. Right. What, what, what do you think is the factor most critical in her success these next few weeks? Number one is a preparation for sure. It's always about that. Uh, and uh, probably the, the second thing that's going to be important is the, the mindset. Uh, because the mindset is, as a consequence, how you handle the situation emotionally is also a lot about your mindset. Uh, so we have to work on that. So she, uh, of course, she will feel that uh, she will feel the opportunity to to win the 24s. But at the same time, she, uh, I mean, she has to go there with the the same motivation, but take take some uh, pressure away because uh, on those moments the pressure goes to the to the ceiling because I mean, to play one match for the history is probably the highest pressure you can experience in in your life. So as, as coach, what do you tell? I mean, I think you're, I think you're right, and I think it's to you. You watch even from a distance, and it's it's pretty clear that there is this ratcheting up of tension. How could there not be? What what do you tell her? Um, I I should tell her something different from the previous uh, four times. First, uh, so I mean, I don't want to tell you what I, that what I said that didn't work. I was gonna <laughs> say, but yeah, you got to tell. What what did you tell her? If it works too much. Now, first of all, to be completely honest, uh, and I thought I knew her really well, and I thought I was really good at reading people because I feel that's my job. Uh, I didn't feel that coming at all. Like, I didn't feel any extra stress before those finals. Really? No. I didn't feel at all. Uh, I don't even know if she did feel something, to be honest. Uh, I mean, you know, when you have extra pressure, it always highlights your weaknesses, always. That's a rule in sport. So I feel that the first, uh, the first finals that she's reached after her pregnancy, she was not back 100% physically. Uh, she was winning, yes, because she's an incredible competitor, because she's had so much experience, because she has such a huge game. But, but I mean, clearly she was far from her level in terms of fitness so this just i think on those pressure moments this came back too strong and it hurt her uh so i mean and when you realize that you feel like okay so i mean we never had we never faced any kind of problem i mean serena's always great under pressure that's one of her trademark so, i mean if you look at her career yeah. i don't think it's something you can discuss so the, i have no reason to think that she's not she's going to be not going to be great under pressure I shouldn't anticipate something that shouldn't happen. Uh, so I thought, okay, anyway, time is working for her because the more time passes, the better in shape she is. She keeps working. So, uh, yeah. And then, you know, it doesn't work. A third and a fourth time. So you, then you, you have to, uh, to think, okay, so there is something extra that we need to work on. Right. So let, so keep going. Let's let's role play this. Uh, if if hyp hypothetically she wins six matches at the U.S. Open and she's on the threshold of history, and this is a you know the fifth major post-pregnancy for fifth major final, what do you tell her? I can't tell you now because I don't know. You get, you got you got four weeks. You got five weeks. Um, how, and, it, and it's important to feel the person. You know, sure. when you when you're with your player on a daily base and uh, you 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 always I mean. I told you that I didn't, didn't feel what happened, which is true. But most of the time, you also know better how to speak to her because you, 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 you are in, uh, you know, you, you feel her presence, you feel her, how she feels, how she also communicates with you. And it's easier also to be right and to have the right words when you are with the person physically. Instagram is not always the most uh, accurate 
you know, indicator of these things. How has she been holding up? I and mean, what have you learned about her these last six months? Um, I mean, I don't know if I learned something about her, but uh, I feel her motivation is still intact, uh, which is something uh, very impressive. Uh, again, uh, like all this COVID-19 uh, just uh, again prevented her from uh, being able to achieve what she wants to achieve. Uh, time passes and you can feel like at some point she's going to say, okay, I mean, with everything I've done in my career, all the, th the other things I have on the side, my family, all my business, okay, it's done for tennis. Let's do something else. Motivation is the same. <laughs> you, 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 haven't, you haven't seen that drop off. You haven't seen that. Zero. She's really uh, working the same, focusing the same. I have the feedbacks from the guys working with her, uh, the fitness and also the, the hitting partner. She's 100%. Um, so, so there are two competing schools of thought on this, which is when, when tennis comes back, this is going to really benefit the top players who have had access to more training and, you know, who are the, the stronger players to begin with. The other school of thought is it's going to be wide open. And this is, this is how Kim Kleisters can come back and beat the most recent major champion and that some player ranked 62 could win this major. Um, Two two very different schools of thought. Where where do you uh, where do you stand? Uh, I would say that it's it's better for the young younger players because uh, the competition is uh, is very aggressive for the fitness and and not being able to compete for such a long period and suddenly competing I think is going to be really hard and I think. It's great for the players if they can play early and, and, and compete early in before the, the U.S. Open. Uh, so that's why the one who played UTS, I think you'll see they're going to play great. I think they are super ready, much more than the other guys. Um, so for the younger player, I think they will recover better, faster, and after the matches. Uh, on the other hand, I think that uh, the, the more experienced player will be... Uh, you are right that they had better conditions for practice first. Uh, second, uh, they need less competition than others to, to be uh, at the top of the game. So, uh, and also players who are on the rise, that everything's doing great. It broke the momentum. I mean, I'm not saying they cannot come back, but it, it, yeah, it mean, killed the momentum. There, there, there's a 16-year-old from... Uh, that, that I, don't you know, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. La last question. What, what, is the, uh, what, what is your favorite book behind you? Oh, uh, let me have a look. You, you like that book with the yellow cover right next to it? Look, look at the one next to it with the yellow cover. Next to it with the yellow cover. With the brown in the middle. Keep yeah. going. Other way, other way. No, other way, other way. Sorry. Yeah, there, right there. Uh, I don't think I read this one yet. All right. Um, you know this one? Mike, Mike, Ty Mike Tyson, though, huh? Yeah, I love this. Oh, this one is unbelievable. Which which Tyson book is that? Uh, it's uh, it's called Mike Tyson Undisputed Disputed Truth. Uh, it's a bestseller actually. They made a documentary with this, with this book. Right, right, right. That is, uh, I think you can you can watch it. The documentary is unbelievable. That's uh, Car Carmelo Anthony, I think. Uh, I think I think that's Carmelo Anthony's Tyson documentary. Really? It's yeah, called Tyson. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Really? Um, all right. I like that you. I like that you didn't pick a tennis book. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is great. Uh, you know, I, I I congratulate you on uh, on on what you started here. Uh, did you like it or not? Tell me the truth. I, I I liked what you did. I liked how you used this as an opportunity. I think some things work better than others. I think you've really caught on to something, and I think that. I want to see this when there's no COVID and, you know, will, will players decide to play this? But I think also the, the TV picture, you'll have fans in the stands. I mean, I think this, I, th I think it's intriguing. I think you've got a lot of people thinking and I think it's going to be interesting to see if this can, can happen alongside tour tennis. But I, I think you really took advantage of uh, this period. I, you know, I, I think like, like you said, I, I think some of the, 
the time, I, I love speeding up the pace of play. I'm not sure the quarters quite worked. Not sure we needed the nicknames, but I think the, the big picture is you use this, uh, you use this crisis as opportunity and not everyone did that. So I, uh, I commend you on that. Yeah. I mean, if you can just spread the message, I mean, that's not your role, but when you have the opportunity, no, but just to know, just knowing it. And when people say something that is not right, we don't want to replace tennis. That's not the point. Uh, I mean, that's the most important thing It's just, uh, next to tennis. It's a plus. It's not to replace or, or a lot. I mean, I, I'm asked this question all the time. We don't want to translate stuff to, 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 to tennis. That was not the idea at all. I'm not saying tennis is not good and we have to make it better. I'm saying tennis is great for some people, but we don't renew our, our fan base. We need a different product for the, to renew the fan base. That's my whole thing. That's the whole thing I'm saying. No, and I, and, I think, yeah. And I think, I think that the immersive uh, experience, because it's much more immersive than, than classical tennis, I think it's very interesting for the fans because I think it's exciting to be uh, sitting next to the players in a way. That's the, uh, that's the feeling that we want to we wanna give as much as possible. And you're, and you're committed, let's be clear, and you're, you're committed to a second season. 100%. I, uh, I appreciate this. I congratulate you. Be, be safe, wear a mask, and uh, get, get, get through Lexington, and we'll, uh, we, we, we might see you here, here in safer precincts. Thank you very much, John. Have a good day. Okay, thanks to Patrick Moradoglu. Always a pleasure talking with him. Um, I, the guy, we, we talked about this last time, he uh, could, could be perhaps a controversial figure, but I think you have to hand it to anyone who is willing to innovate and test things out, and I give him a lot of credit. Uh, we'll see how the Ultimate Tennis Showdown, uh, what it looks like in its next incarnation. Not Ultimate. Um all right. Next up, let's go to uh, let's go to Baltimore, Maryland, and talk with Andrea Leand. Andrea is a a former player, former top fifteen player. She's been around the sport for a long, long time, and she was at the World Team Tennis Finals in the Greenbrier in West Virginia. So we talk about what she observed courtside and what she thought of tennis during the time of COVID, and what the U.S. Open can uh, can learn good and ill from uh, what we saw the last few weeks at the Greenbrier. All right, let's talk now with Andrea. Hi there. You were there. You uh, you were there for the final weekend of World Team Tennis. Put us there. What, what was it like? Oh, it was tremendous. Well, of course, the Greenbrier is a perfect setting. Eleven thousand acres. The players could do everything from horseback ride to hike and bike and golf, and so they were entertained off court. They were very happy. But what the whole thing became about is creating this bubble, John, and creating a bubble and trying to get pro tennis back uh, to the fans and to see if it could be successful. And Carlos really pulled it off. Carlos Silva did a phenomenal job, the CEO of the World Team Tennis, and uh, it was quite a lot of challenges. It wasn't perfect. You know, Marty Fish was supposed to be on the New York team. He won the golf event in Tahoe and had to pull out. Luke Jensen did a great job. Uh, of course, Kim Clasers got injured on the New York team, and so they had to acquire Coco Vandeweghe in the full Melkor midseason. Of course, they ended up winning the final match, so that was an incredible uh, twist of fate. And uh, all the tests, you know, they, there's a lot said about all the COVID tests. And, of course, the players and the staff and media all had to have a test done before they got there. And then they had one done when they got there. And not all the results came back at the same time. So there were some players a little nervous. Of course, you know, Luke and Evan King and Neil, you know, all got their tests back a little bit later. So they couldn't play the first few matches. Uh, but everything was negative. Everything got done. And they were able to hurdle all these challenges. Uh, which made it such a success. But I think creating this bubble and sending out the message that they, uh, that Carlos is going to implement is not just put strict protocol, but implement the protocol. I think send a message to everyone that you can do this if, if you do follow through. Can they replicate this? I mean, the, the U.S. Open is obviously not one resort where everybody can stay. And we're already, we're hearing about players taking private homes and, uh, you know, with their, rules about entourage but they seem to be a bit of a work in progress i mean to, to what extent do you think this can be replicated at the u.s open um in a few weeks here well i think that's the big challenge is as you said you have uh, it's a much bigger field of course we're not looking at um world team tennis as the format they need to copy it's right. basically about the protocol and 
Yes, I mean, the USDA now is saying that they have to have security around the clock. Uh, if they're going to stay privately, they have to, you know, make sure that their whereabouts are uh, definitely checked on so that they're not uh, exposed to anything. And so I think the USDA is going to do its very best to try and create this bubble as are other tournaments. But I, I do agree, John, the coaches are a little bit um, concerned. You know, will they be able to replicate that at the events where players have, you know, obviously more freedoms and have to have more of a judgment call as to their behavior? Um, I think that the tournaments in Lexington and, the, and Cincinnati, of course, they're playing Cincinnati uh, right before the Open in New York. That is going to be a big telltale sign if the players, and not just the players, but their entourages are really going to adhere to the rules because that's the whole key. You need the negative test. As everyone said at World King Tennis, once all those negative tests came back, that was really, uh, you know, the key to being a successful event. The, the devil's advocate would say uh, there, there were, you know, no, nobody tested positive, which is great, but you, you did see people without masks and you did see something less than uh, social distancing. Um, I mean, first tell me sort of about the, the, the climate on the ground. Did, did you witness some of this stuff as well? Yeah, you know, it, they, uh, only, they only went in about two or 300 fans, and I sat front row. I had the whole row to myself. It was definitely social distancing in the stands. But, no, none of the fans had masks on. Most of them did not have masks on. And, and so you do wonder about that. You know, should Now, of course, there are not going to be any fans, apparently, at the U.S. Open, so that should not be an issue. But should everyone be required to wear a mask uh, if they're off court, if they're not actually playing, no matter who they are? Um, that's a good question to ask. Um, I did ask a few people. I said, are you a little nervous that the fans aren't wearing masks? Right. And they said, no, no. And the players did wear masks off court. I remember you know, Sonia Cannon and her dad coming right out of their hotel room, had the masks on, went down the elevator, masks on, game face on. So at some point, I do think that the players at the Greenbrier were able to make that transition from worrying about the COVID protocol to worrying about the tennis and letting that be the stage. I think that's the whole trick there, is to try and get through the protocol so that the tennis then can become the real highlight and the real stage of the event. Strictly from a, a tennis standpoint, who impressed you? I, I got a lot of texts about uh, the, Brandon Nakashima, the kid from UVA, who I guess is now, uh, I think he j just turned 19, but now is going pro. Who, uh, who impressed you? Brandon is absolutely, the youngest in the event, um, apparently, of course, a year at UVA, he has that blistering backhand, great attitude. It's just such a terrific attitude for a young teenager. Of course, you know, he had the team with Jeannie Bouchard. You saw the Instagram. It's, you know, a lot of fun off court, but he was all business on court. He was able to keep his concentration and his focus, especially against Jack Sock. You know, rooted Jack Sock, bageled him in that final, which really turned the momentum for Chicago at that point in the, in the final. And uh, but he did not bat an eye, which you like to see that composure from a young teenager. Sonia Kennan, too. Jane faced John. She was not having anything of it, and she was not happy when they lost in the semis. Uh, she got on that golf cart with her father, and uh, off they went uh, on to the next stop. But that's what the good thing is about Sonia. I think that this has become a great barometer for her and Sloan and other players there to see where they are and where they need to be by the U.S. Open. Uh, Sloan, uh, to me, has, she's been doing a lot of weightlifting. Talked to Kamal about it during this, uh, you know, sabbatical for the COVID. A lot of weightlifting and a lot of muscle. But as we all know, it's her feet, not the muscle that wins matches for her. And she's going to have to go back to that hardcore uh, training of doing the foot speed, the work, the sprints, the, the non-glamorous part of it, and get that type of, uh, you know, quick twist uh, back into her game. She is supposed to go to Lexington, but I think that's where she needs to be when she gets to the U.S. Open. She's got to have those feet again. And you so I think it has become a great barometer for those, those players. You, uh, you, you mentioned Jack Sock, who uh, is obviously trying to, to restart his career. Did, did you like what you saw there? Well, Jack Sock is such a, a fun player to watch for me. I love watching Jack Sock. He is such a great athlete. He has so much talent. He showed the Grand Slam doubles form uh, there. He was just absolutely dominant, whether he was hitting the ball or not. And usually he was all over the court. He has such enormous strength that he was just able to overpower everyone in the doubles. And just he knows the doubles court so well. Um, and he has great confidence in himself there. 
But, uh, of course, in the singles, he didn't win a game. He'd already played the first two matches, got a little tired there, the speed is the issue, the fitness. But he does look in better shape to me. He does look more confident. And it would be so great for American tennis to have Jack Sox back again. I will say he is the total team player, John. Uh, when Coco went to play uh, Sloan in the uh, women's singles in the final, he was mid-court ball-boying for the girls. And, of course, you know, a little bit of chiding of Sloan, you know, screaming out to Coco, uh, you know, come on, Coco, all the pressure's on her. You can do this. And so it was all in the works down there. All the storylines were in play, which made it a lot of fun. Jack Sock heckling Sloan. I'd, I'd heard about that. Um, <laughs> so everybody, I, as I understand, um, a lot of people driving now to Lexington. What, uh, what do you expect there? Well, of course, Venus Williams was there. She showed up. Great name to have. Great supporter of Team Tennis. She played for Washington. Also a good barometer for her, of course, in the end tail of her career. She actually went back to Washington to train. And we all, everyone's doing the drive. Everyone's doing the caravan. Uh, Kamal told me that he and Sloan were going back to Chicago, and then they're driving to Lexington. So I think everyone kind of wants to keep that bubble concept in place where they're in their car, they have their car down to tournament, and uh, they really can, uh, you know, have that type of isolation. So, yeah, no, no flights, no jets yet that I'm hearing about, but uh, I'm sure we will have a few. But right now the player's trying to stay in the mode of, uh, you know, sticking to themselves. And I, and I know some players expect to drive from Lexington to, uh, to New York and just won't mess with airports at all. Yeah, the airports is a real tough one. And, uh, you know, obviously a lot of them are not going to, uh, as you know, pay for these jets. And, and that has its own issues too now, apparently. But yeah, they're going to drive. And it's not that bad. And they do have their entourages. They can take the whole team. Uh, they don't have to be, the, the airports are a real, real tough one as far as exposure. And I don't think uh, anyone is looking forward to going to the airports. Now, of course, apparently Jeannie Bouchard's going to Europe, but, uh, but right. uh, the rest of them, yes, they're looking for the caravan uh, car rides uh, into New York. We, we said last week, if one player uh, is not going to get a USTA, uh, U.S. Open wild card, it's, it's probably Jeannie Bouchard. But what, um, I mean, you know, inst Instagram is one thing and, and even press conferences to some extent, but what was your real sense of how players are dealing with this? What, what is the level of concern and how is this manifesting itself on the tennis? I mean, this is, you know, this is something that none of us have been here before, but especially with a limited shelf life to, uh, to have a sports career. How, how are these athletes handling this? What did you, what did you witness? Well, I think the Greenbrier did a great job. It's such a beautiful resort. There's so much to be able to do without having to worry about all the protocol, because that is the key, John. I mean, when you have that worry about having to, you know, be exposed or follow protocol and then have to play your best tennis. You have to make that transition mentally onto the court that once you get on court, that's it. You turn off all the issues and you just focus on your tennis. But it also has to be for the practices leading up to there. So they're prepared, they're ready to go to play the matches, especially in the heat and humidity of New York. And, and so that, that will be the key is to see which teams can just say, you know what, you worry about the tennis and we'll worry about everything else. And you just go ahead and you do your routine. And that's what the USDA challenge is going to be. They're going to have to create an environment where the players can get there and just worry about doing their routine for their tennis and playing their best game so they can produce the best matches and the, and the best, uh, you know, of course, sport for the fans. And uh, to me, that's what the USDA needs to do in creating the bubble is to create a sense of security for the players that everyone's fine, all the protocol has been done and put into place, and you can just worry about your tennis now. And, uh, you know, that's where the teams also are going to come into place. I think it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I think that it's all about getting these negative tests. As they told me at the Greenbrier, the staff is, you know, once we got all the negative tests and we realized it could be done, it was a big sigh of relief. And I think once that that happens, you know, in the Cincinnati week uh, of the U.S. Open, if they can get through that and get through that pump, I think then they'll have a bit of a sour relief going into the Open. And if they stick to their guns on what they say, I think that it becomes a whole new uh, animal if you start inviting fans in and you start inviting other people in, uh, you know, with daily passes and things, and you start kind of penetrating the bubble, then it becomes a whole different thing. And I think players are, are cognizant of that. So it's really up to the USC, I think, to keep a firm, firm grip on that bubble. 
So having, you know, having sat row, front row for, for pro tennis and having talked to, to players and coaches, I mean, what, what is your level of concern slash optimism for the U.S. Open? I mean, where, having spent last weekend in Greenbrier, are you, you more or less optimistic than you were a week ago? Well, the great thing about the Greenbrier is that Carlos and, you know, World Team Tennis and the staff took care of everything. Yeah. And so from, from, from their hotel rooms to their eating to their, you know, lounges and so forth. So everything was taken care of. Now, as a tournament in New York, obviously the USC is going to do their best and they have the hotels and the transportation and so forth. But there's going to be a little bit of discretion of decision-making left up to the player and player team. And so, look, you know, I mean, I can tell you that I think the most seasoned veterans and the smart ones and, and the managers behind them are going to do the right thing. But you have 128 players uh, in, in both single draws. That's a lot of players, a lot of lower-ranked players without teams to give to help them make the right decisions. And those are the people you worry about. So um, I, I think that uh, it's also not a team event. You know, it's everyone for themselves and for himself. And, uh, and so you worry that someone may not make the right decision. So, again, the USTA is going to have to have a huge, huge player staff uh, in place to really deal with all this. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, my only pushback on that would be I, I would be more concerned about private housing than people staying at the tournament hotel. I mean, I, I just don't know. If you're trying to create a bubble, I'm not sure how private housing is consistent with that. And who, who knows? Or is everyone going through one realtor? Who knows who's been in and out of this property? Has the property been vetted? I, I almost think that the risk is going to come from one of the higher-ranked players who have an entourage and who have a, a private rental, then I mean, it's, it's easy to go back and forth to, uh, to a tournament hotel, right? I mean, I, I, I worry more about the upper-level player who's staying at a rental property than the run-of-the-mill player who's staying at the tournament hotel. Do you buy that? Well, yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. I mean, I, I think, look, uh, there's going to be a – look, there's going to have to be sacrifice, too. Uh, Kamal said this. All the, the coaches all told me this. This is, there's going to have to be sacrifice. And you're, you're gonna, the players and the top players are going to have to realize this is not going to be the most fun three or four weeks. And you're going to have to make sacrifices. You're going to have to have incredible discipline. And they're going to have to apply all those things they use in their tennis to now their lifestyle. And that is going to be interesting. As you said, yeah, I mean, look, these private homes, uh, there are a lot of open doors there, as we all know. But, um, I, you know, I have to hope that the top players especially want to win the tournament, and they have to test negative to do that. And and uh, having a team member who exposes them is not going to help that. So you have to hope they look at the big picture and do the right thing and have the right amount of discipline. <laughs> but as we all know, John, I, you know, I hear you. You know, it's a tough one. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, I, th I think one thing that's characterized not just tennis and not just the U.S. Open and not just sports, I mean, opinions are all over the map and you you have one person whose opinion you respect saying this will be a pretty much normal major and players don't go out that much anyway and it's not going to be that different and you have other people saying this is going to be a complete catastrophe and they're going to be lucky to get week one played so I mean I, I guess we're all sort of uh we'll we'll see what happens with all of this but there there is not a lot of consensus about a lot of issues surrounding this tournament and I guess we uh we, we hope for the best. Well, I think you're right, John. I think that there are going to be problems that are going to present very quickly in, in the Cincinnati week, the first week of, in New York. I think it will present very, very quickly. I don't think this is going to be uh, something that will happen. If they get to the third week, I think they will have figured it out by then. But uh, that, that first week is going to be crucial. And, and it's all in the details. It really is going to be all in the details. And, and that is going to be – you know, having the staffing, having everything, you know, outlined so that they – and they're going to have to adjust like Carlos did at World Team Tennis. It's not going to be perfect, and it's how you adjust. It's how you're able to make those uh, those decisions, uh, split-second decisions, uh, to make the tournament continue in a healthy, you know, safe way is going to be what's pivotal. But are you going to get out there, and are you going to go? <laughs> I am still waiting to hear about the uh, media policy. I, I do not anticipate uh, going, and I was told also, you know, don't don't try to meet up with players. Don't try to go to the tournament hotel. Um, you know, it's I'm whatever I am eight, eight miles away from the site, but I suspect uh, I, I may as well be in a, in a cabin in Mongolia. We'll be doing this by but uh, by by Zoom, like we've been doing everything else. But no, I, I think um, it, it will be a real 
test for tennis. I am not quite sure what to think, honestly. I mean, on the one hand, I, I give the USDA a lot of credit. I think they've done this really thoroughly and with a lot of caution. I also think 256 athletes from all over the world coming to one venue is, uh, is sort of uh, anathema to maximum health and safety. So I sort of am guardedly optimistic and concerned, and, and yet I think the USTA should come in for some real credit here um, for, for making this thing happen and, and doing so with, with I, it, it seems to be with, with real caution and an embrace of science. So uh, we'll see. It will yeah, be I, uh, an open like no other. I think that, you know, as you said, I think people forget the magnitude of how many, we're talking about hundreds of people just with the players and their entourages. In the Greenbrier, you had nine teams. It was a more controlled setting with nine teams. When you have you know, 120, about 250 players in their entourages, just allowing the players one person into the player, you know, dining and lounge facilities there, that adds, you know, that adds another uh, 250. So then you have 500 people in there. So, you know, the odds, as you say, they, the odds go up significantly with the numbers you have. And it'll be interesting to see how the USTA utilizes the facility to be able to handle all this. Because, as you know, it can get, it can get kind of cozy in that tunnel in the in those player areas. <laughs> no, it's it's tunnels, and the other thing I've heard that uh, there there are people on both tours that are agitating as as the tournament goes on, and there are fewer players in the draw. Maybe that entourage bubble will be able to expand. So I I think um, you know it's we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. No no one has been here before, and I think you're right. I think there's going to be a lot of policy done on the fly and a lot of snap decisions. You know, I, I think they're going to be a lot of sort of very important calls that are going to have to be made spontaneously, right? Um, what do we do? Well, I will say, Go ahead. Well, I will, I will say one thing. And Carlos had to take a real firm stance, especially with the Daniel Collins issue when she left. And as though she didn't mean anything by it, but he had to take a stance and he had to say, okay, you know, you're, you're out of here. If the USTA makes too many exceptions and, and the players sense that, uh, then, then that could be an issue. So this is where they have to be able to be willing also to show the discipline to take the stances and, and follow through on all the rules and regulations they're handing out right now. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, there, there are, we all know this, right, that uh, there, there are different levels of discipline. We've seen this 100 times, right? I mean, different players are treated differently depending on uh, their, their ranking and their star appeal. And if, if does Daniel Collins get the same treatment as a top five seed, we'll see. But um, lots to, uh, you know, I, I think we're all sort of nervously and voyeuristically going to be looking on here. And uh, I, I <laughs> I appreciate well, I do give credit. Yeah, I mean, I give a lot of credit to Stacey Allister and, and the USDA for attempting this. And I think that if they can, if anyone can pull it off, they can pull it off because they have such great experience. And I think they're, they were looking at the green bar. I think they're looking at world team tennis um, as that model as to what to do, what needs to be adjusted. You know, obviously the format was different and, and it was easier with the bubble with the Greenbrier, but I, I do think that the, all these things will help them. I think looking at Lexington next week is going to be able to help them as well. And uh, so by the time they get to the Open, hopefully they would have worked out all the kinks and, and everyone will be on the same page. Um, I think that's a good point. I think that's a really good point too, that they, they do have two events to, uh, to learn from after World Team Tennis. And I, I also do think it's probably worth pointing out uh, the situation in New York is really improved, both sort of out on the street and also just that the data is now mirroring the data in you know, South Korea and the, the U.S. You know, New York right now is better than Australia. So I think people from overseas especially are seeing some very grim statistics about the U.S., but I would, I would stress that that is not uh, the situation in New York. So... Anyway, I, uh, this is great. I've got to run. You've got to run. This is uh, it's always a pleasure talking, and I'm glad. As, as someone who's actually seen pro tennis live and in person, I was eager to get your, uh, your impressions, and I, I, thank you, uh, I thank you for giving them. Well, thank you, John. I really had a ball uh, at the World Team Tennis. It really was fun, and I appreciate you. Yeah, I always love talking to you, and I thank you, and let's keep our fingers crossed. If, uh, if tennis can keep riding this, this momentum from West Virginia, we'll all be better off. So, uh, all right, I will uh, 
see, see you down the road, but thanks, thanks for visiting today. Thanks, thank you. All right, take care. Thanks, Andrea. All right, thanks to Andrea. Thanks to Patrick. Uh, thanks, as always, to Jamie, our uh, uber-talented producer. Good, two good conversations. Again, this is sort of the, the U.S. Open is back edition, and the range of, uh, it seems like the range of outcome here is fairly vast for this U.S. Open. A lot of people uh, share this sort of sense of guarded optimism and yet uh, trepidation. We've seen baseball and, and college football. It has not gone so well in the restart. We've seen other sports the NBA, and again, I give World Team Tennis credit that have gone much better. I think the challenge will be for the USTA to sort of replicate this this bubble and um, avoid some of the pitfalls that other sports have made in terms of uh, sort of letting players go out and about when they're not competing. So we will see how this all plays out. I think Andrea raises a really good point that the fact that we have Lexington and, and Cincinnati preceding the Open will give us a sense of whether this is feasible and sort of what best practices we can uh, adopt and learn from those events. Uh, a lot of news. A lot is changing. I mean, literally, since we recorded this, a few more players, including uh, Yelena Ostapenko, has pulled out of the U.S. Open, former major champion Ostapenko. Um, so this, uh, again, we should timestamp this. We are talking on Wednesday. A lot could change by the time you hear this. We will try to keep you posted. Um, all right, that does it for this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for the guest suggestions. You can subscribe and leave a review. Uh, always helps. You can get this wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Barnes & Noble, Borders, B. Dalton. Um, thanks, everyone. Thanks to Jamie, and we will uh, do it again in a week. Mm-hmm.